You're listening to The Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 85. Today, I talk with Dr. Sujin Lee. We talk about pursuing your passion projects while still staying in medicine. She has a passion for helping us learn the entrepreneur mindset. And tomorrow is the big day. Become the Boss MD. Success Beyond Residency comes out tomorrow. So check Amazon or wherever you buy books and get your copy. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we need to learn from a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Bertrands. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you learn those lessons. Welcome back. I have a great guest today. This is Dr. Sujin Lee. She is a PM&R physician, and we've known each other for a few years now. And she has a particular topic that we really need to hear and learn and implement, emphasis on implement, is this idea of work-life balance and how do we achieve this. And she and I have very similar stories and philosophies, which is, you know, we cannot have all the physicians leaving medicine because who's going to take care of us. So we have to find a way to pursue our passions and to do things with proper boundaries so we can protect ourselves as well. So I, I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation filled with lots of useful knowledge. So Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me here. This is a wonderful opportunity to get connected with you again. And as you mentioned, we met a couple of years ago and then we have watched each other growing throughout our career passage. And it's so good to catch up. And then I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to share our stories together to your audience. Oh, that's so great. And I know I've watched you from your PM&R practice and implementing a lot of your private practice experiences and helping physicians do entrepreneurial type activities, which we just were never taught how to do. And you can do this on the side. You don't have to leave medicine to do that. But obviously you have to find some way to do two very overwhelming, <laughs> overwhelming time commitments and put them into their place. So, well, first though, tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit behind what led you to where you are today. So, you know, I kind of thinking like, it is so true that we start medicine with one intention. So when I went through the medical school, I already had a two children. So my medical education was probably the time that I felt burned out. So working going to school full-time and doing all the clinical work, studying and everything, also being a mom of two young children. So when I finished my fellowship, I happens to have extensive fellowship with a clinical fellowship and research fellowship. But when I finished my fellowship, I wanted to have a work-life balance, which means having some time for my family and taking care of myself. So I tried to figure it out what would be the best way to create the life that I can do everything. So I love practicing medicine. So when I was finishing my fellowship, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to practice medicine part-time. At the time, it was about 70% and also had some opportunity to continue research and consulting work. So that's how I started. And a couple of years later, I got involved with the residency program. So I served as an assistant program director for about four years. And I realized there's a need for coaching and mentorship in our trainees and also practicing physicians. So I added coaching a couple years ago. So now I practice medicine 50% of the time. 
and doing coaching and consulting, some other work about half of the time. Because of that, I have a lot of flexibility. And also because I'm in the private practice, I have autonomy about my schedule. So those are my, like in summary, what has been going on in my career in medicine. And I can imagine how challenging it is to to maintain boundaries around your private practice because, you know, you being, I know we talked before that you're a spinal cord injury subspecialist and, you know, there's only 800 in the country. So I can only imagine the demands that you must have. And so how do you uh, try to keep constraints on your day job to allow you to pursue your passion projects? So I think the most important thing is having a boundary and also knows what really values, what's important to us. Sometimes each time, like every time, every hour or every day, having some focus really helps helps me to stay on track of providing the clinical care and also creating time or protecting my time for non-clinical work. So when it comes to boundary, I feel it starts of when it when we go down deep under of the how do we set up the boundary, I feel it comes from the self-compassion. A lot of people talks about the same thing. They are able to keep an appointment with other people, our patients. We never not showing up for our patients. We always show up for our patients, even they don't show up. But having a time for ourselves, having a boundary for ourselves are the appointment or commitment to ourselves. Those are the ones that I think most hard to keep. A lot of us, we thought about having the exercise and we decide not to go because we're too tired. And understanding where that, not able to keep our uh, commitment to ourselves, where that comes from, without the judgment, without the criticism, it's more of a curiosity and having compassion definitely helps us to having the boundary. And also that helps to create the time, what we want to do, and also be able to separate the clinical responsibility and non-clinical work that we want to do. So it's all combination of having boundaries and knowing our values that really actually helps to stay in my clinical practice, and also having time for my non-clinical work too. I love that concept that boundaries are based on (laughs) compassion. It's so true. Like a patient shows up and we do not judge them for asking for our help. And we don't have these negative feelings for them coming to us to ask for these things. That is an expectation and we meet that expectation. And it would be intolerable for us not to meet that expectation. And for us to consider that a boundary is something that we do for ourselves. We are basically trying to show up for ourselves and how much that that relationship changes. And if we put it in the perspective of self-compassion of that, we wouldn't not show up for ourselves. And that's pretty much what we're doing is not showing up (laughs) for ourselves. And we're judging ourselves for even asking and frustrated that we need something. And I thought that was a really fantastic comparison. Well, I think we all know how to show up for our patients. Sometimes we have a challenging patients, but if we really know what is the challenging part of it is our judgments to our patients. Patients can behave whatever they want to do and fixing their behavior sometimes is not up to us, but we can lead, we can provide the education and we can lead the way that how our patients can follow our guidelines. But the bottom line that how I show up with my patients actually impact how they're going to respond to us. If we can take that skill to ourselves, for ourselves, then I think we will have a better skill set 
or better able to better manage ourselves, how to set up boundaries and how to be compassionate for ourselves. I think that's very common. A lot of physicians say it's really difficult to take time to take care of ourselves because we're so used to, we were trained to focus on others, focus on our patients. So even we're not sleeping, we're not eating, we make sure our patients get taken care of. I think we need to unlearn those skills I'm not meaning that don't do that for our patients, but bring that skill set for ourselves too. I think that that will improve actually the longevity of our career as a physician. And also it improves the whole care or the, I, I think a medicine is still there. The system is a little bit difficult to work around, but if we can bring that compassion and boundary to us, I think we'll find a way to improve whole healthcare system. And definitely putting ourselves on the map too. And it's not just us too. I think that our closest relationships are ones that we can let go of too, because those are the ones that are going to tolerate a bit of neglect to a degree. And, you know, we certainly have tolerated a bit of neglect. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit too long. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the whole point too, yes. is that sometimes these best closest relationships we, we have tolerate some neglect until all of a sudden it doesn't tolerate the neglect anymore. And being really proactive with these relationships and recognizing that they need time and effort too is really helpful. But, mm -hmm. and, and doing that based on self-compassion sounds like a fantastic first approach for that. Well, yes, I, I really appreciate your support. And I believe all the coaches who are in this space, we are trying to show other colleagues who are not aware of what's going on, or even they have the skill set in them, they don't realize they can use the same skill set for our for themselves too. I think that's the role of us. We try to change the culture of medicine by changing, impacting individual physicians until the system is getting better. I'm not saying that all the burnout issue needs to be taken care of by individual physician. I think that's not really possible to change the whole environment, but until the system changes, I think the movement needs to start from the individual level. I completely agree. And I think these smaller things that we do for ourselves really will change when we're all to the same page, when all these little small individual elements move towards the same purpose, that's when we're really going to have this tsunami mm -hmm. of change. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad we're in the same space. Totally on the same page for sure. Now, when it comes to self-compassion, let's talk very practically. So I know some of the system problems are things like documentation and notes. And I know that you mentioned one of the main things that you work with on people when trying to set these boundaries is regarding to charting and documentation and things like that. So take me through some of those practical things because everyone now has their pen and paper in hand. Tell me all the things. <laughs> Okay, so <clears throat> I'm sorry. So because my schedule is pretty flexible, so I don't have I don't have to see patients every 15 minutes or five minutes, 10 minutes. But what actually helps for many of my physicians who are in, you know, busy schedule, I think stay focused while they're seeing the patient. That really helps. And another strategy that many other charting coaches actually coaches is take a notes while they're seeing the patient. I think that barrier is actually many physicians feels if we take notes, if we write some notes while we're seeing patient, we have this thoughts of my patient feels they're not valued, 
But that's not really true. While you're typing, you can also have eye contact with the patient and also having all this stories captured while you're seeing the patient. So charting as you go actually could be more accurate and more reflective actual conversation at the time. And once you're done, you can kind of close a chart. Then you don't have like 20 charts open at the end of the day. So I think that's one of the tools. The other one is, I'm not a surgeon, so I'm not, I don't really know the details of a surgical setups, whatnot, but I think there are some parts that our staff can do, but we ended up doing everything ourselves. So we're taking open the responsibility of our medical assistant or nurses can do, even calling the patient. Sometimes you can delegate the work to our staff. They can take care of it. And knowing what are the tasks that are can only be done by a physician and what other tasks can be done other staff. Or also, sometimes you feel like I have to train my staff, so I'm not going to do that. And you, we keep doing the same task can be trained to our staff. If we do that, that will add up our work. So knowing what tasks are specific for physicians and knowing what tasks can be trained to our staff and spending some time in upfront and educate our staff, then you will actually create a lot longer time that you can be dedicated and it's going to be more efficient practice and it's going to be serving more patients and it's going to be using our values, using our skill sets where it's really needed to be used. I think those are the main thing in terms of the shorten the time of the charting or having the time or using our skills and values where it really needed and delegate the things that can be done from other staff. I think that's very important. And because we're very compassionate people, we're passionate about taking care of our patients. We, um, many of the physicians go into medicine because we want to help others. So we ended up helping our patients. We ended up helping our staff and their families. We tried to help everybody. But some of the things cannot be done by us alone. The healthcare, taking care of patients, providing the care to more patients who needs your care needs to be in a strategic way so that you offer the value you can only offer and leave all the other tasks that can be done from others, either training other staff or let them do it. And I think that will create the good balance and actually having more rewarding career in that sense. Um, that's something that I try to show other physicians who try to do everything. And I think that's a great value, but we just need to make a little bit of a shift to offer our value to more people and in a more larger scale. Well, I completely agree. I think there's two major points there that I think are really helpful. And one is this idea of working at the top of your license. Everyone should be really maximizing all of the skills that they have and not doing the things that are not the top of our license. But we always have those narratives in our head about why we do that, right? Like, I'll be bothering them. I should be doing this. I'm responsible for this. They, they're they going to think bad of me if I ask them. And it's going to take me more time just to explain it. These are just mine alone. I can go on and on and on probably. <laughs> and, and you know, you and I both trained at the same place. And so this idea that there's all these sentences in our head that yes. are leading us to get the results that we're getting is to really get a different result. You have to unravel all of the limiting thoughts that we've been telling ourselves because, mm -hmm. and having really strong directives, like asking the question, is this the top of my license? Mm -hmm. It becomes a little bit more clear that you now have identified a lot of tasks mm -hmm. that have the potential to be off of your plate. 
and recognizing proactively thinking, what does the future look like if I only do these things Mm -hmm. and how much it opens up the possibility that you're able to do a lot more for Mm -hmm. people that you're actually holding yourself back by holding onto these tasks that you are not meant to do. And so both understanding your limitations and understanding your imagined future is really, I think the key to understanding why we get trapped in these situations. Well, I like your comments about understanding your future role as attending and physician. What happens is I, I see this more, maybe early career attendings. What happens is during medical school and training, residency and internship, we were educated. We were told that we have to do everything. So I think there's a, some purpose of learning what it takes to take care of a patient. But once we pass that training phase, we sometimes have to let go some of the identity that we carry from as a, being a medical student or interns or residents. So in early uh, attendings, they carry that responsibility or that mindset, I have to do everything because nobody else will do it. Or sometimes this is the way how I was trained. So I carry that identity as become a senior attending. But when we progress in our career, our roles shifts. So if you're in a more structured healthcare system, it may be you might be put in the place that you have to make a shift. But if you're in a private practice, you can continue the way that how you were trained at a residence doing everything. But it will lead into either the practice doesn't become as productive productive or efficient, or you ended up doing everything. You work so much hours without, without adding or pro- providing the values and cares to the patient. So there needs to be some identity shift along the career, maybe the first three years, five years, seven years, 10 years. I don't think there is a really good guideline or some physicians are not aware of that transition needs to happen. I think that's where it comes from, the guilt of I should be doing everything. But when you're advanced in your career, you have to let go of certain things to acquire or create time to do different roles, being in a more senior roles. I think that change needs to happen. And I see not many physicians actually understand that change is coming or it will help them to grow, grow their practice and grow their career. I think there's a great point too, is that we forget that it's supposed to evolve over time. And I saw this on the the smallest level when it came to residencies. So like the intern comes along and they think they have to do everything, everything, but they really don't. You just have to make sure the boxes are checked and do all the work (laughs) and gain some knowledge along the way. And then as you increase to like the second, the third and the fourth year resident, you increase your managerial roles, but that's hard. So it's easy to default back to, I don't know, I'm just going to make a bunch of boxes because I did that before. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I completely, I completely hear you. I think because we're in the same medical education space, I know you have a medical students and trainees and I work with the residents all the time. You will definitely see their role needs to change, but they hold on to their old selves and they try to carry and they feel overwhelmed because the the shift needs to happen. The shift comes from transformation of their identity. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that usually involves some level of discomfort because I now know what I'm doing and I feel comfortable doing this. And what do you mean I have to do something different? And now I have to do this all over again? (laughs) 
<laughs> or why do I have to learn new skills? I already learned, you know, hundreds, thousands of skills to be a doctor. Now I have to new, learn new skills. I think this one is the one that you coach a lot. And I, I heard your book is coming out that you talk about the things that medical school or training didn't teach you. I think that's what we're trying to show to other physicians. The role needs to change. And that is the part of the natural growth of our career. And I think that's necessary to create the work-life balance. Otherwise, you're going to get, everybody's going to get overwhelmed and feeling burned out. Yes. And before we leave the day job, <laughs> I want to think of one thing that that you said that I thought was really helpful when this, I, this concept of self-compassion is what we need to do. And when you're in the clinic room and we want to give the patient all of our attention and we give them all of our attention, which means we don't do our note, that means we're not particularly compassionate for ourselves. We are giving all of our compassion to that patient and not leaving any of it for ourselves. We're saving it towards the end of the day. And that does not feel like saving big piles of self-compassion for us, does it? <laughs> no. And then I think that one of the, that we can question ourselves, doing our notes is really being not compassionate to our patients. If you, right. if we can look at it as that's part of a patient care I think that's a majority part of the patient care because if we don't document certain things during the encounter, we may forget something about it. And when we order some of the orders, labs, and equipment, whatnot, if it doesn't reflect, the patient is not going to get the care or the service they need. So if we can look at it, taking notes, writing notes is a part of a care because that's one of the way how we get paid. Even we don't like that part of it, but it's part of the system. As, as long as we use the system, some part of it, we play the game along the system. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to provide the care they need. So if we can make that some shift of this is the part of the care, part of a being compassionate, but how to divide the time, you know, face time, face time with the patients. If some patients wants to have a more face time, then you can adjust your interaction with the patient. Some patients really don't bother that you're looking at the computer briefly and looking at the eye contact. You can modify that as based on the patient's interaction. That's being really uh, responsive or compassionate to patients and to myself too. That's how I want to like, that's how I would like to look at it. Yes. And even just understanding that that's why we're not wanting to type in the first place when we understand like the, the sentence in our head is saying that, you know, compassionate doctors don't type in the clinic. When you look at that, you're like, well, I mean, isn't even true. And that's exactly because you know, once you start unraveling the problem, then you start the solution becomes very obvious. <laughs> yes. Yes. But we don't even think to question what the problem might be. And I know that's what you and I both do is, is getting to the thoughts that we didn't even know we had that mm -hmm. are keeping us back. Or understanding that's our own thoughts, not the universal truth. It's always helpful to pause and create a space of being curious. Is it really true? Do I want to continue to believe? But the some of the people, so we, we never got trained to doing that way. But the first step is always acknowledge or uh, noticing what are our thoughts. Once we're able to do that, then we have a space to be able to ask questions. Is it really true? Or is there other options? That's where we are able to respond to our thoughts or environments around us instead of reacting what's happening around us and what's happening in our own brain. Yes, I think that's fantastic. All right, so now let's leave the day job. 
let's talk about passion projects because you, yes. also, you know, have pursued in addition to medicine, some of our passion projects. And so I know that this is where a lot of your work comes in is helping physicians pursue their passion projects. So take us through how that evolved and what do you offer for someone who is interested in pursuing a passion project? So thanks for, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about our passion project. We enjoy practicing medicine, but also we really enjoy or we want to pursue something outside of medicine. I have noticed even as a physician, I had interest in education and research and that lead into doing some work at consulting and starting coaching. How I started was I was already teaching medical students and trainees and early career physicians. I wanted to have a better tools how I can help them and also help myself. So I became a certified coach. And at the time, I realized some of the physicians who wants to start some side business because they either wants to decrease their clinical practice because of the burdens or burnouts, whatever their experience. And there are many physicians who are talented in many different areas. Some wants to do more teaching, some wants to do doing other work, investing or creating some products. So I noticed that many physicians have these talents and passions they didn't know how to go about. So we met, I met some of the physicians during, during one of the summit that displays other physicians to what they're doing outside of medicine. And about 10 physicians came to me and asking, can we make a little small group so that we can all grow together, developing our passion projects? So some of the physicians were doing some YouTube channel, educating their own expertise to general population. Some physicians wants to start a podcast and some of the physicians build their own clinic because they want they don't want to be an employed physician anymore. So we kind of got together and because I was a couple steps ahead of them and also had the skill of coaching other people. So I started doing this mastermind, Physician Entrepreneur Mastermind. So that's the service that I have been provided past year. And it came to me and to all of us. The reason why we are doing this is we would like to create work-life balance so that we can have some flexibility and autonomy. At the same time, we pursue our own passion project can be profitable. You can do as a hobby, you can do as the charity work, but it's nice to have additional income resources and also having some profit profit from the business so that the business can be sustainable. So that's the uh, the coaching service that I offer is I coach, I teach about the how we can create work-life balance. A lot of contents we talked about in our previous conversation. And the second part is going to be once you know what I think it's the process of figuring out what are the passion projects that you would like to do and what your value is. And the next step is going to be how to make that passion projects being created so that it can be part of your career. So those are the process that I work help through from the beginning of the how to create the work-life balance and identifying what are those passion projects and the early steps, how to establish and then build the foundation of the business so that they can grow. I think that's fantastic. And I think it goes to the idea of like medicine, it goes back to Dr. Osler, I think maybe said this about how medicine is a jealous mistress. She'll be satisfied with no less. And you know, I've, I've had that. I wasn't exactly sure it was. I, I basically went to Google and, and that's who the the last 
thing that Google says is. But really what it is, is that medicine will be a jealous mistress if we don't put her in her place. And that will keep us from doing these passion projects and profitable projects and purpose-driven things is that we are more than just, you know, physicians. We can do both. And, you know, by helping other people realize that it's possible because entrepreneurship is, is different challenges than medicine, as you know. So like having a passion or purpose that you want to pursue and then finding the lessons to learn that. I know that you have this mastermind and what can people expect in this mastermind? What are some of the things that come up frequently that you talk about? I think it's it's fascinating because when you're talking about like the medicine is a jealous mistress and I'm thinking about, okay, boundaries, our own boundaries and self-compassion, it goes back to the same it's the same model that how we can be compassionate to our patients and at the same time to ourselves so that we don't have a 20 charts open at the end of the day. It's a same structure. There's a medicine, there's me or physician, or as a human being, me, we are more than just the physicians. Many of us are moms, many of us are partners, many of us are daughters and sisters and friends. There are many different roles. During the medical training education, we were taught to forget about all these other roles, which may be necessary to be a very successful in any profession. You got to have a dedication. You got to develop a lot of time and efforts and a lot of a skill learning time. Once you finish that area, we kind of need to shift a little bit that finding our true identity. We are human first before a physician. There's no physician who are not human. We are human first, but we forget about that non-physician side of it. I think once we become an attending, once we try to do other passion project, it helps us to be a human, seeing ourselves as a whole. And, you know, we can manage our jealous mistress. (laughs) And at the same time, we have to, or we want to, we want to, nourish ourselves as a whole human too. And that's where the boundary and self-compassion comes. The medicine will be still there. And I'm not encouraging all the physicians leave the medicine unless that's their own choice. That's perfectly beautiful to me. If they want to leave the medicine and pursue other career, if that's their value and passion, yes, I will support them 100%. But it is possible to do having the jealous mistress or having this medicine in our side because many of us identify as part of our identity is a physician. That brings a lot of meaning and purpose in there, but it is okay and it is possible to have, actually it is it is inevitable, have a life outside of medicine. So if we know that different criteria, different areas in our lives and having the boundaries and compassion to ourselves, it's okay to do it once we have the permission to ourselves, then that's going to be a good um, balance. And I think we talk about this a lot in our mastermind. Many people think about when I try to put myself out there as an entrepreneur, I want to offer education on a YouTube, but I feel like I don't want to see myself on a video. It comes from judgment and it comes from feeling guilty, not taking what my patient's going to think about when I go on and talk about the podcast. It all comes from if we can love ourselves a little bit more, if we can find a way that how it's going to help as us as a whole human being, it's going to be 
easier. It makes more sense to having other part of me, not physician. We talk about a lot doing this mastermind. I think, you know, the strategy is easier tool to obtain, but the mindset is the more challenging part. And the mindset once we, when we're not around the people who are like-minded, minded people, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to stay in that focused lane. And I think my mastermind or having these physicians together helps to stay focused so that we can grow and understanding that it's okay to have other part, not being a physician and normalizing that definitely helps to continue to pursue our passion outside of medicine. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more about the mindset. And it's it's so easy to flip from one side to another. You know, I have something of value, I, I think, maybe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to first decide, you know, in your worth and what you have to offer. And then, well, now I have this thing to offer. I wonder if someone wants it. Ooh, I don't want to be salesy, you know. And, and so all of a sudden, so now I'm going to withhold what someone wants and needs. Yes. Because I'm afraid of how I'm going to be coming across. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I put this thing out there in the world and it's not doing like I wanted to. So therefore I must be failing. Well, you know, welcome to the entrepreneur journey. Um, exactly. exactly. And then afterwards, like, well, I've done all the same things and now it's different. Well, you have to be, you have to change and be nimble. And mm-hmm. so there's so many things like our belief in our worth, our ability to deliver what we're yes. worth getting our way, our ability to make sure that we don't get in our own way make sure that we tolerate failure, you know, Mm -hmm. make sure that we continue to change and evolve with the practices of now. Well, now I did everything on Facebook and Facebook locked me out of jail because I put a cat post on. (laughs) True story. (laughs) Yeah. So many stories. (laughs) These are all the, the like in general lessons that we all learn and they have about 50 different iterations daily of the same kind of concepts that we all hear. Yes. Yes. That is so true. I mean, the one thing that I want to share is just because we're a coach, just because we're a couple steps ahead of the in entrepreneur journey doesn't mean that it doesn't come to us. We just know it will come. We're prepared. And even when we're prepared, when it comes, it it stumbled us. It's, it does definitely bring us down a little bit sometimes. And we just have to acknowledge this is the being part of entrepreneurship. And Sometimes we forget, many physicians forget, that's exactly how we became a physician. I mean, nobody experienced 100% success all the time throughout the medical education. Yesterday, I told one of my clients, how many schools did you apply and how many rejections did you have? There's no no physician who never had a failure. I'm not going to say failure, but any rejections. You know, we only go to one medical school. Maybe we have a 10 rejections. We go to one residency program. Maybe we had a 10 rejection again, but we forgot about, we forget about all these things that we tried. This is exactly the same for entrepreneur journey. Maybe it feels more of a failure because we're not surrounded by those people most of the time. A lot of my Clients say, we feel lonely. They feel lonely because I don't know anybody else is doing it. And when we are around the people who doesn't do anything, they look at us like, oh, what are you doing? You're a doctor. Why are you doing these? And that's a difficult concept or difficult mindset to overcome unless you are surrounded by people like you and us having this conversation together. Maybe some of the audience listening to that are in the same place. It is okay to have something that nobody else doing it. 
And maybe there are other people doing this just like you do. And having that community definitely helps you to stay encouraged, motivated, and then dealing with the failures or the rejections a little bit better. Nobody went to medical school by themselves. Nobody went through the residency by themselves. The reason why there's a program, the reason why there's a school is because they know it's hard. And the entrepreneur space, especially a physician entrepreneur space, there's not that many communities. So finding that community is very helpful. Oh, I completely agree. And I had the funniest two things actually this week that happened. One of my fellow surgeons sent me a text and saying, now that you see like the entrepreneurship stuff, don't you see it everywhere? I'm like, yes, opportunity is everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And the second was a post of saying like, should I read this business book? Or do you think that's more for managers? And I was like, what they forgot to tell us is that medicine is a business. They just didn't give us any skills or any knowledge to approach it in that way. Mm-hmm. And unless we do, we are, will continue to be cogs in the wheel. We, by embracing the entrepreneurship spirit, we're going mm-hmm. to understand medicine more. We'll understand our limitations. And then also we can be those little small shifts and change that lead to the tsunami of change in medicine. And that's why I think it's so important to have entrepreneurs in medicine. And I, I know that you agree as well. Yes, for sure. I mean, even your, even, you know, physicians who are employed, the self-branding, their value, knowing their value, advocating their value, because if we don't advocate or unless we recognize our value and advocate, nobody else is going to do that, especially the big healthcare system who are not physicians, their goal is making profitable business. And in order to thrive in the system, knowing our value, knowing our brand, that's the foundation of entrepreneurship. So just because you're employed vision doesn't mean that you don't have to have or you don't need the concept or mindset of the entrepreneurship, especially the leadership skill is being, it's a big part of a being an entrepreneur. So sometimes we kind of separate those two, but being a leader, um, taking care of the team, delivering the service, that's a foundation or the fundamental of a being entrepreneur. I completely agree. All right. Now, so anyone who has heard this will obviously want to hear more from you. So I know that on May 24th at 5 p.m., is that Eastern time? Pacific you have a, a webinar called Achieving Work-Life Balance. And I'll make sure to have that link on there. So if people want to join in as well. Now, who is this webinar for? So yes, thanks for sharing my information about the webinar upcoming. So this webinar is for, especially for the women physicians who are practicing full-time medicine, but wants to have more flexibility for their family or their children, especially, and for themselves. Many women physicians are struggling in many multiple roles, and they're looking for the answers, how I can change my work situation, or how can I create this life that gives me more flexibility, autonomy. One way I found is practicing medicine part-time and having some purposeful and profitable side of business gives some flexibility and autonomy. So I put this webinar together, as you mentioned, that it's May 24th, 5 p.m. Pacific time. The title is Achieving Work-Life Balance in Medicine through part-time practice with a side business. And I would like to talk about all the things that we talked about a little bit more in depth. And then after that, I will have a course that going into more details and going through that process together as a community. That's the service that I offer to other physicians. And where would they find that information? So you can- I'll edit it. (laughs) 
Physicians can find my information on my website. It's my name, Sujin Lee, S-U-J-I-N-L-E-E-M-D.com. And also I have a little link to sign up for the registration. It will be on my website too. That sounds great. Well, Dr. Lee, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this such valuable information. I I think all of us being able to achieve work-life balance is really what's going to allow us to stay in medicine and still pursue our passions, which is more likely to continue to allow us to practice in medicine. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. For more information on the BOSS Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.